0: Welcome to Long Covid Physio Podcast, the podcast for physiotherapists and other allied health professionals to share their stories of living with Long Covid and our allies in clinical practice, research and policy to join the discussion. Hello and welcome to Long Covid Physio Podcast. My name is Darren Brown. I'm a physiotherapist and I am living with long COVID. Today we have two guests with us on our podcast today and this is actually a bit of a first. We've got two occupational therapists on the topic of return to work. So Jenny and Jasmine, thank you both so much for joining us today. I wondered if um, you would introduce yourselves and we'll start with Jenny if that's okay.
1: Oh, thank you very much, Darren. And it's really good to be here today and have this opportunity. Uh, So I'm Jenny Kioter-Smith. I'm an occupational therapist uh, dating back to qualifying in 1994. And my passion throughout my career really has um, involved return to work. And my PhD was around health related support for people with long term conditions. Um, And I've had experience before of losing my job uh, in the NHS. Um, due to work uh, injury. So I've got a lot of background experience in this area.
0: Lovely, well thank you for sharing that and thank you for being here. And, and what about yourself, Jasmine? Happy to introduce Hi. yourself.
2: Hi, Hi I'm, uh, my name's Jasmine Yule. I'm an occupational therapist uh, working for the University Hospitals of Derby and Burton. Um, I work in an outpatient department where we offer a vocational service Um, typically to orthopedic patients um, coming through following elective surgery or polytrauma type stuff. We also uh, treat people if they haven't got a sort of clear pathway themselves. Um, So we treat a lot of people that have maybe had a prolonged stay in hospital um, and need that sort of period of reconditioning and rehab really. Um, And when we first started to accept patients that had COVID, that's what we anticipated we would fine we thought that it would be people that had been very unwell medically in hospital that had had extensive medical intervention and that it would be that what we'd sort of been used to before that, that there would be this period of reconditioning um, but actually what we found was that it was the people who um hadn't had that really uh, acute really sort of nasty initial phase but actually it was the people that had managed this at home that had symptoms that weren't resolving and that didn't have access to the hospital follow-ups, the, the medical intervention that other people had that had been in hospital. So that's where we started um, and needed to adapt to the way we work really. So um, our normal interventions would be workplace assessments, bringing people into the gym and doing sort of a traditional rehab approach. Um, and that's how we kind of got into COVID really, is that we thought that it would be like that, but it, but it actually, it wasn't.
0: Oh, well, thank you both for joining us today. It's really nice. Like I'm in London and it's a bit rainy here today. Uh, so I haven't stepped outside. Uh, where are you both in the world?
1: Um, so I'm in Stockport, um, Greater Manchester area. Um, and it's, it's a bit damp and uh, rainy up here as well. And I've, I've not been out yet today. Uh, and I'm over in Derby
2: and um, it's horrible here too. Not very nice. So we're covering various (laughs)
0: different geographical regions of England and the UK today, aren't we? Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm really pleased we're having this conversation about return to work uh, for so many different reasons, because obviously there's been lots of conversations, but mostly had through social media, but also other podcasts that have been done by other people. And that's kind of how this came about today, actually, didn't it? Because we've ended up our worlds colliding, whether that be through personal or professional capacities, because there's been such an interest. this topic and so much has been going on. So I wondered, Jenny, would you tell us a little bit more about your own experiences in the realm of long COVID?
1: Mm. Yeah, so um, I'm one of um, uh, the people that got ill in in the first wave, um, you know, some point um, towards the end of March um, uh, when I was working um, as an occupational therapy lecturer and during this um, period, um, well, we're now kind of May uh, 2021, um, I have actually tried to return to work twice. Um, because of my background, um, I, I've and my research area and practice area in, in return to work, I am aware of, of lots of the evidence base um, in terms of how work can support um, people's recovery, but there's a lot of provisos on that in terms of the type of work you know is it good work you know what what's tasks and, and and everything else that comes with it but i think looking back now i um i pushed to return to work quite early on in august last year and i think we know now a lot more about the journey of long covid and at that point i was noticing some improvements, which is why I pushed to go back to work. And I very much felt that I could overcome those things. So because of my background having had a work injury,
2: um,
1: I changed jobs after that. I then had a head injury when I was doing my PhD and I maintained my PhD through kind of those issues. I thought, okay, I've got this illness, but I can overcome it and that that return to work didn't have occupational health involvement, it had GP, and it, is fantastic, this isn't any um, issues with GP, but it it was the more traditional phased return to work, you know, sort of increasing um, the days over a short period of time, and basically I became quite unwell, um, had time off again, and then uh, in November I I thought, you know, I'm, I'm I'm getting on top of this again I can I can do it you know and the passion to want to be at work you know um so I went back again but this time with occupational health on a very much more slower graded extended return to work it actually stated one to four hours a week at the beginning um so I did that and I was a bit strategic and I said to my manager you know Christmas holidays is in in this period so you know it's a good time to kind of come back and 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 do those things but come January um I think I maybe got up to about seven hours within a week but over not in one day not over several days um I found that I was relapsing again to the point um the example that I've given in quite a number of things now is uh, I tried to get the clothes out of the tumble dryer and I couldn't get back up off the floor, you know, so I felt the compromises to my health and well-being while I was trying to work and still trying to manage long COVID without having been to a long COVID clinic, you know, without really getting to the bottom of all the factors. Currently, I'm now being back off work since January and I've now been deemed unfit for work twice I've pushed to go back to occupational health and I'm very hopeful (laughs) I am making improvements again I'm hopeful that I can get back to working and these are the thorny tricky issues around really what can employers do to support people like me you know Mm. Um, and I think there there are ways and that's hopefully what we're going to sort of explore. Um, further today.
0: Yeah that's that's really thank you for sharing that because it's really interesting because I could feel parallels there from what you were saying in my own experiences in Mm. terms of the prolonged or protracted experience of this and then alongside the episodic and almost unpredictable nature of living with long Covid and the implications Mm. that has on not the desire but the ability to be able to participate in Things that are really meaningful to us, like our roles in our jobs.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely, yeah, definitely agree with
0: that. Mm. Jasmine, obviously, you're working clinically in this area. Um, is that something that you're hearing from people that in your service in terms of difficulties um, with returning to work? How is how is this how is this functioning in where you are in your role? Absolutely, yeah, um, we've
2: had. So many referrals through for patients specifically struggling to get back to work, and, and many of those have been staff, NHS staff that work for the hospital and, uh, and services. Um, and returning to work has been in a real challenge, I think, not just because, in itself, the symptoms themselves are making people feel so unwell for such a long period of time, people aren't having access. Uh, to perhaps the the assessments and interventions that they feel they might need, so there are delays in those care uh, that care. Um as you were saying, the way the symptoms present, it can fluctuate, can't it? There's there's no predictable pattern, and I think to begin with people are, are really distressed, people are really anxious, and they do, they push and push to try and fight against these symptoms. And I think after maybe a few months, and I mean, so maybe four or five months, sometimes people seem to, to find a balance and they can have a little bit more consistency. that's the type kind of time we start to even talk about having those work conversations. Um, but I think also it's, it's not just on an individual level. I think the return to work process lends itself to people who are expected to make sort of incremental improvements um, in the same way that you would rehab anything really. Um, say, I mean, you'll know a lot more about this as a physio, but the idea of building muscle mass in general is, is the idea of overloading that muscle to the point that it needs to repair and, uh, and regenerate a bigger muscle to become stronger. And that's our idea of rehab and that's uh, society's idea of rehab. So it's the same in the return to work process in that, there's this expectation that you will just the more a workplace pushes someone the the more they expose someone to the demands over that four-week period that 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 is the rehab process in itself and by the end of that four-week period you've had that opportunity to you know manage everything by then um and that doesn't seem to be be the process at all especially if people are experiencing fatigue and I'm not saying that that isn't the way it will happen, but, it, but it, it's a case of needing much, much longer, I think, of, of needing a, a longer amount of time on a fixed hour so that people can really adapt to that rather than being pushed to be able to go through this phased return. So I think on an individual level, it's really difficult, but then also the process that are in place to allow someone to return to work, the, the two just aren't particularly compatible um, at the moment.
0: Yeah, like you, you've, you've for me, you've kind of really hit a nail on the head there. And I wrote a couple of things down. I'm going to be honest, because my memory is also quite affected by living with long COVID. So I that's one of my strategies. So if I'm looking to the side and writing, it's because I'm writing things down. But I wrote down four things from what you said there. So the first was that there's an awful lot of NHS staff that are coming to your vocational rehab service. And I think that's such an important feature, isn't it? Because we know that... Healthcare professionals are at higher risk of contracting coronavirus by the very nature of their job. And the evidence is emerging that are increased risk of long COVID, but equally so are also incredibly passionate about being part of the responses to the pandemic. And from my own experience, was very happy to rush back to work after acute COVID um, as I wanted to be part of that and then possibly suffered the consequences for it long-term. And I think, because you then mentioned about fast returning to work and rest periods and that, that that it really sticks out to me in terms of what my own personal journey was but then also about the incremental element of rehab and how it's such an important topic this topic of incremental rehabilitation because I think we've lost the value of maintenance and stability and It's like this is a unique opportunity now with a global pandemic to look at those opportunities of what the value of stability and maintenance is um, to enable people to return to work or do the things that are important to them.
1: Mm -hmm. I'd like to pick up on a point that you've said there. I don't know um, uh, in terms of what what you're thinking in terms of maintenance and, and what Jasmine is saying. But I've been looking or reflecting on um, this concept um, of illness work um, by uh, Corbyn and Strauss going back to the 80s. And to me, there's a lot of illness work that we need to still do when we're returning to work. So we might have the, we might have the consistency uh, in order to enable us to return to work, But the very fact that when we're at work some of those symptoms can become more problematic again or we might still be having to um attend appointments and um follow certain regimes you know the pacing exercise i'm saying that very cautiously but that's because i've got frozen shoulder and breathing exercises to do um so we've got all these things that we still need to do within the context of work even if we've maintaining some level of of consistency and one of the things i'd like employers to embrace um more and i don't have research to to really know what they're doing but picking up is that if we're returning to work but we've still got so much going on like we might be only just getting access to the long covid clinic or to appointments we might they might give us time off to do that but they're there are costs and consequences of going to appointments, the energy in going to an appointment. So they might give you time off the day before, but you might get a term I'm drawing from the chronic illness latest work, it's the payback, you know? So mm. while we're at work, the extra things that employers can do to help us um, manage our illness work, I think is, is really important
0: that's a phrase I've not heard of before and I actually quite like it. So my area of clinical practice is in HIV and cancer Mm -hmm. and I've said for a long time that many of my patients have reported um, that almost having the chronic health conditions is like a full-time job um, Mm -hmm. because of having to attend appointments but Mm -hmm. I love that phrase of the illness work. I hadn't hadn't conceptualized it in that way Mm -hmm. and really resonated with me because most more recently in my own healthcare journey, I'm now getting access 14 months Mm. after acute COVID to investigations and services that I've been um, waiting Mm. for and fighting for for a very long time. And, and it really does take a lot out of you to do mm. that you know most recently i had a relapse because i attended an appointment yeah. um, and ended up having to be off work for a week mm. um so there there is that 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 word you use the payback um you know it's it, it to me that feels real that's mm. actually it, living and breathing that yeah. um and it's interesting how you balance it isn't it because you mm. want these you want to be involved in healthcare services because you need mm. them but then also what that does to you and how you need to balance that and then obviously balance occupational work in terms of you know remunerative employment Um, yeah yeah.
1: and i think maybe jasmine i don't know if if you can sort of got any ideas to expand on that because i think as an OT with my ot hat on as well we look very much at at someone's day you know all the occupations they need to engage in and if you're i don't know if you're using like the ahp um note and those things can can these kind of aspects be incorporated into that so that employers get a real sense of the illness work we've got to do alongside our paid work as well
2: absolutely yeah and um, the ahp report is a fantastic tool even if it wasn't used in in the traditional way in that we use it to to uh, certify sickness absence but just as a tool to try and process and i know um kathy um Hathi Thompson spoke about this, about how she used it in a recent webinar, um, and it can be really valuable. And I think it's trying to bring it all together, which, which for us has been a challenge, actually, because with, with working uh, primarily in orthopaedics, we've been very task oriented. You know, we like to simulate a task. We like to quantify how long someone can do that for um, and then communicate that with managers. Whereas actually with this, it is trying to uh, conceptualise this, this this whole um, all the work that somebody needs to do. Um, and, and maybe on FitNotes as well, recommending things like being able to, to spend time in appointments and really trying to communicate uh, this idea of, of, of energy and that it's not just uh, an issue of stamina, it's not just an issue of someone being tired, that actually it's completely different to that. It's not something that can be pushed through. It's not something where you can spend an evening in bed uh, and then feel okay the next day. Um, and I think they're the sorts of things that can be communicated really well through through an um, AHP notes and letters and communicating. I think as healthcare professionals, um, we're in the best place to, to communicate some of that because you wouldn't expect managers or employees to, to necessarily understand those concepts, I think, unless they've had sort of lived experience themselves.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because in the equalities, um, act you know there's there's time off for appointments and and I remember saying to my employers quite recently you know I don't work on a Monday I'll try and get my appointments on a Monday but what I'm what I'm reflecting on even further is this uh, this notion from the chronic illness this payback you know am I setting myself up to to problems if I say look I'll go to those appointments on my day off well but then I'm expected to be back at work Tuesday morning You, you know so I think there's there are bigger aspects to this. and if the AHP note can, can help managers because you know we've got the managers outside of health, you know um, you know, as well. So if that can help and people can kind of understand more about the things we're trying to do um, mm-hmm. as somebody with long COVID.
0: I've been really lucky with my line manager, um, which is that I haven't been um, there's been no discussion about uh, using my rest days. And I'll I'll be transparent. I've I I had a phased return to work, which was extended from four to six weeks. It was completely incremental. It worked, to be honest. Um, It was what I needed in terms of building up days hours and duties at work but I've not worked full time since September last year um so I still use a day of annual leave one day a week and that's a purposeful pacing strategy as well um uh, but there's been no um sense that I need to have my appointments on my best day which is my Wednesdays off in the week um and I feel really fortunate for that because you as you were saying it there I it was almost just the penny dropped for me for a moment it was like oh yeah because if you're doing all your appointments on your rest days that's like having a full-time job because of Mm. the illness work that you described um and I I wondered if you would be either of you would be able to describe what this AHP note is for anyone that maybe doesn't know and for anyone that doesn't know that abbreviation that stands for allied health profession um, as well so what, what is the AHP note?
1: I think Jasmine would be I mean I do know about it but my head's not in that space so Jasmine would be best
2: place to <laughs> to talk about it yeah, so um the AHP health and work report um, can qualify someone for contractual pay or for statutory sick pay um and can and can be instead of a, a gp fit note it just can't qualify someone for benefits so it's all universal credits ESAs those types of things Um, and it's something that allied health professionals can can fill in Um, I know it includes occupational therapists physiotherapists and podiatrists and I'm not sure whether other AHPs um, can be involved and I, I, I suppose they'd have to look into it themselves but it's a it's a really useful tool because not only can you sign someone off as unfit for work but there's also an option where you can say that someone might be fit for work providing that some of these recommendations can be um made and and that's the the opportunity where you can can write some recommendations you know um looking at non-consecutive days talking about um specific strategies that can help someone go back to work. And and as a healthcare professional, I think we're in the the best place to to make some of those suggestions, especially in a therapy role, because you may have longer, or you may be used to looking at the functional impact of symptoms. Um, Mm. And I think that's what's really important in the HP Fit Note is that it's designed not to necessarily just talk about symptoms, um, and diagnosis, which, which to a manager might not be particularly helpful, but it's designed to look at what impact those symptoms have on someone's day-to-day life, um, whether or not they, they do have good or bad days, good or bad weeks, whether they have um, significant fluctuations, whether they experience brain fog and how that looks, whether it's difficulty task switching or learning new information, And the more individualized that information can be on the part of the therapist and how confident they feel in exploring those matters, um, the more information and work have in trying to put in place um, adjustments that are appropriate, that are individualized. The the, the problem is with a phased return, is is light duties for one person um, isn't the same as another person. If someone's having experiencing brain fog, then, then the last thing they want to do is be moved to a reception desk where they need to deal with lots of inquiries, they need to learn new processes, you know, um, so it's an opportunity for for, for for us to try and communicate some of the adjustments that might be the most helpful for people. Um, and we've used them loads in our department, we used to write letters and reports but, but I would say a lot of what we do now is communicated through the HP health and work reports
0: amazing and i don't know so i know that we've put a link on it on the long covid physio website uh, on our return to work page uh, that was written by kathy thompson um but I, I don't know that i'd heard of it before even more recently uh, so certainly underneath this on both spotify and youtube i'll put a link to it because it sounds like it's such a valuable tool that clearly you're using um in real world clinical practice in the context of of long covid um so both of you have mentioned kind of strategies and I wondered if you could explore that a little bit more.
2: I mean from my perspective um, with strategies I think a lot of that comes with time and people developing their own strategies and, and, and knowing where their limits potentially are, what the signs are that their, their symptoms may be getting worse, um, so things like breaks and um, doing things in quiet environments, stopping before before something stops you. Um, but I think what's really important with strategies is that just like it can take months and months to find those strategies at home, it can also take that amount of time to develop them at work because the demands are so different. And, and however much you kind of rehab yourself and, and challenge yourself to those things at home, nothing can quite prepare you for, for work-related tasks, especially if you're experiencing really severe fatigue. So, I think that's again why this phased return uh, needs to be a little bit more flexible with that is that people need time to develop their own strategies within the workplace and have that time to maybe realize that they're pushing too hard and and if that means sticking on a few hours a couple of times a week then that's maybe what they need um uh, jenny might have uh, some more ideas on strategies that have
1: yeah i think there's several things and um uh The one of the key things that comes to me, and this is about personal experience as well before long COVID is, and it's, and I think it's an an occupational therapy thing is the environment. You know, it, to me, how I've been most effective previously with, after the head injury with tinnitus and noise sensitivity and fatigue and, and temperature issues is controlling the environment. So that wasn't always easy to do in my place of work. Um, but at home, I've got much more, you know, a better opportunity, you know, to control my environment. So that those are some kind of strategies. I think some people, again, it's I think it's very individual as to what works. So, You know, I've heard some people like noise. The um, words are going now, but noise blocking headphones and things like that. I think there's a range of strategies. But I think that's where some employers maybe without things like the AHP fit note, without occupational health or GP uh, fit note, they won't really understand. And I've heard people say to me, oh, well, my employer has been really supportive. They're giving me a two hour rest break in the middle of the day, but you know, the day's two hours longer, you know? And so that really isn't a a strategy to actually enable that person to really help. And I I was thinking as well, there are other things in terms of um, access to work, you know, is is a service that can be incredibly valuable for people because it will provide things that can help, like Dragon software. Um, um, They might make recommendations for blue screen filters. Um, They might make recommendations for um, uh, text, read, and, and write, those sorts of things that they might, you know, they were doing a Assessment and see other things and I've, I've even heard in the past that well access to work have provided transport say for people that have ep- epilepsy you know occupational therapists that work on home visits so I think strategies might be things we can do as individuals but they might be also external things that people can um, can provide so it's the department for work and pensions that you would apply for the access to work assessment with agreement from your manager and they offer some grants as well so i know also people have talked about um you know having a buddy you know so strategies where you might need somebody else to kind of check things or you know my work's very um cognitive uh, you know based there's a lot i'm going to have to do you know uh, around if i'm producing teaching materials i don't want to present materials that've got spelling mistakes in or inaccuracies to students, you know, so I think it's individual, the strategies of what might work and, and, and how, how colleagues might pe- play a role within that as well.
0: And am I right in thinking that access to work is a, a governmental scheme, but specific to the UK, um, that supports people that may be with, uh, having experiences of disabilities about assessments of their needs and supporting them with that? Um, are, there, are there other, uh, maybe this is a, a total tangent, but like are there other examples internationally as well of things like that or, uh, that you're aware of? because uh, I know that we have people that listen to this podcast from all over the world so I'm just wondering whether you're aware of anything else that that or maybe we need to ask an OT from Canada at some point or something about that but
1: <laughs> I think I, I mean in in my uh old days I've I know I've got reports on kind of voc rehab across the world and things like that but I just I cannot recall at the moment but I, yeah it'd be very interesting and I, I think somebody on Twitter from France uh has been sort of linking in you know I'm um, very keen to know what what support I think that would be an interesting podcast <laughs> wouldn't it you know the international theme because we can learn from other countries as well and and of course other countries may have insurance um uh, is it insurance protection schemes you know so they and we do in the UK obviously for some people but they may be able to access more uh, through different schemes I think as well yeah I don't know
2: Jasmine if, if there's anything else no I'm not
0: sure sorry no. Well, well hopefully someone on Twitter might tell us when we post this um, yeah. but I was really thinking there around what you were saying about some of those strategies um, and I, I really liked the way you conceptualized it as strategies that we have within ourselves kind of like our own um, internal strategies as well as like the external strategies that can be there to support us either in the environments or the people that we're in
2: mm-hmm. and I know that
0: It's taken a long time for me to get to a point of figuring out some of those myself because um, I want to give a, a couple of examples if that's all right. So like where we work, it's obviously I work in a hospital, it's busy, there's never enough office space or rooms. And so more recently we've ended up my team in the staff room um, as as our office. But that also means that there's always people coming in, putting the kettle on, smashing the bin lid. And we're trying to have a meeting and you can't because there's just so Mm. much noise and people come in and they're talking. And it's taken me a long time to get confident to actually say to people, can you please stop making so much noise? Mm. (laughs) And I know people think that I'm being a real horrible person, but like Mm. I've had to just accept my needs. Mm. And, and put them forward and other things I've done as well is I've recently bought these these cards they're from a company called Stickman communications oh my god I love them like they they, they basically are just like really simple uh, ways of saying this is my current need and I want you to respect it
1: <laughs> I, I saw them Darren I saw those on Twitter I love those yeah yeah
0: they're great um So yeah, so like one of the things I was going to ask then is, it seems that like Twitter has been like a really important place for disseminating information, but also in terms of advocacy. And I wondered if we could come to, you mentioned illness work, and then we've got like the work that we do in terms of our jobs. But what about like the work of advocacy? Like, Is is that something we need to think about as well? Because there's quite a lot of us living with long COVID that are falling into this world of advocacy now.
1: Yeah. Jasmine, are you okay if I go first? Absolutely, yeah. Um, Yes, I think, I mean, I don't know. I haven't looked at the research, but I've got all these different concepts of work going on in my head. And I think advocacy work is another um, really important area. And for so many different reasons. And I think, yes, you're right, Darren, about... Uh, twitter you know it's that's been a real place of sharing and and even if we take the example of long covid physio the work that's been produced you know um it's it's out there and it's reaching people and you know i was at the long covid clinic um this week and you know we had a discussion about Jasmine and <laughs> the long COVID physio, you know, um, the work that's being done is actually helping healthcare professionals on the front line, help people like us. So I think there's a real value to that, but I think the, the important thing that we need to think about as well is what's the impression that for those of us that have long COVID, how is the, this, role that we're playing in advocacy being perceived by our employers and colleagues because i know my my colleagues will have you know been you know for want of a better phrase they really will be working their socks off for this last year they may and may not have replaced my hours you know so how do our colleagues feel when they maybe get a snapshot of you know oh this is jenny look at her on twitter i'm not saying they'd say in in a in an unpleasant way, but they might question, well, why, how can Jenny be doing this when she's off work? And how can she be doing this podcast? And I think that maybe Jasmine can pick up on some of these other themes. But for me, what it does for me is it enables me to judge my uh, ability to work. What strategies, we've talked about strategies, what are the strategies that help me? How can I build my confidence, my self-efficacy again in terms of going back to work? You know, have I got the skills to do something like this? So the advocacy work is, you know, prerequisite to going back to work in my view. And I can learn and I can judge and I can feel a value, purpose and meaning in, in, you know, there's got to be some enjoyment to this long drawn out journey and you know as occupational therapists if if we know that if if somebody doesn't in have some enjoyment then we're going to spiral down you know not everybody but you know the chances are that our mental health and we know people with long covid you know can have some uh you know s- serious mental health issues and and I've had my dark moments on this journey so if i don't engage in, in the Advocacy work, and I balance it with my owners work, and I balance it with getting ready to go back to work. You know, I w- I would be in a in a worse place. And I just the last thing I'll say is that I think the impact you know from your work, um, everyone else's work is 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 unmeasured at the moment. And just a, as a quick thing, I tweeted to the NHS employers yesterday because they're doing a webinar on hidden disabilities in the workplace. And I said, hope you're including long COVID. And they've come back. You know, thanks Jenny, that's a challenge. So just a small thing may make people think differently. I don't know if I've, I've forgotten what the question was, but anyway, I know, I've just
0: talked. Well, you've answered it. (laughs) (laughs) Jasmine, I saw you scribbling some notes there. So what are you thinking on this topic?
2: Absolutely, I think just to pick on, up on a few of the points that Jenny said, I think it's really important before anyone goes back to work, regardless of the severity of their symptoms, is that they try to, to engage in some of the tasks that might be expected of them at work, even if it is uh, something as, as what would seem quite simple as working on the computer. If, if you're in a job where you spend a long time on the computer, but actually in sickness absence, you haven't challenged yourself to that it's a little bit of an unknown. And for a lot of people with fatigue who are experiencing, again, the brain fog side of things, uh, concentrating on a computer screen for, for sort of 10, 20 minutes can be really challenging. So I think that process, like Jenny said, if you can try and do the, some meaningful work that's associated with your normal job, it means that you can go into that phased return process a little bit more informed. And it means that you can communicate some of those things with your managers. And it might be that you found some strategies um, that help with that. Yeah. And I think the other side of things with regard to the advocacy role, so many people want to work, so many people want to go back to work, but just cannot meet the demands that they know are going to be expected of them, especially if it's this traditional model that that I know a lot of people are struggling with of the four-week phased return. Um, And I think if anything, what it does, especially Jenny is a perfect example of the sort of she's got an exceptional level of of clinical specialty in this area and I think through this advocacy work she can really demonstrate how much she understands about this process even if it's in a short amount um, and it's paced and I think to an employer if anything that should should show that she can do the work and that and, and that people are really keen to work and if they're given the opportunity to pace themselves work flexibly and perhaps um a little bit a little bit less rigid in terms of the phased return process so that actually people can can be really productive and really great contributors to the workplace again um, so you would hope that that's how this advocacy work comes across but i know sometimes there can be challenges in, uh, like there is with anything you know if someone's got back pain for instance and a colleague sees someone with back pain going for a walk around the park actually it's rehab they're trying everything they can to get back to work um but, but there will always be colleagues that question uh, those sorts of things so it's it's a really difficult uh
0: topic isn't it I think yeah Well, I want to thank you both for actually raising it in that capacity because I do think that that how am I going to word this I'll just be honest like I've I've felt that internal battle with myself, you know, around, I'm doing an awful lot with advocacy and I've always conceptualized it as part of my recovery. It's part of my rehabilitation because I am doing these things and it does give me something valuable. Um, mm. It fits in with my, my actual personal values around mm. productivity and outputs and engagement, mm. um, you know, and it's been a real battle, not only in terms of balancing my activities and my rest, Um, but equally so about maybe that sense of do people judge me for but if you didn't do that you could just be at work full-time or and and I know that's not the case because (laughs) because I still do do an awful lot of resting Um, but yeah I I really value the way that you've both conceptualized that and actually valuing the role of advocacy Mm. um, and how there are so many different We could call them work hats, right? You know, there's our illness work, our paid job work, our advocacy work, our many different roles. And that's why both of you are such amazing occupational therapists, because you you see it in those lights. And I hope that other people uh, can also have that penny drop for them as well
2: and i think sorry just to pick up on what you said there i think it really does evidence how important the pacing strategy is because outside of work if you're doing all this work in advocacy you're you're only able to do that because you have the flexibility to rest and pace yourself and and these should be examples to employers as to why that's so important and why it's integral to to these phased return processes for people really yeah sorry no go go on
1: I'm getting passionate now, well, I mean,'m I am passionate anyway about it all. And, I, and I've what Jasmine said, that's it. What it's um linked to me to is, you know, we've got there's a lot of research done on on what is good work and all the kind of factors and everything. Well, the advocacy work, if I think about, you know, I, I'm involved in the long COVID support working group. Um, you know, and it's it's a group with um, people from HR, from occupational health, physio, OT, pharmacy, uh, NHS and other sectors. And, you know, there's the, the factors that are good about that is that, you know, we have flexibility, we have autonomy, we have we have the chance to say, Oh, I can't make that meeting or I can only make that meeting if I'm in my pajamas or, you know, I can only stay for 10 minutes or, you know, I, I need the camera off today. Um, you know, it's got it's got a lot of the factors, you know, and I haven't mentioned them spot on about good work. But if we can translate that, you know, and in terms of the en- enjoyment side, my partner um, the other day, you know, he said he went past the door where I was on having a meeting you know, in, in, in the evening with this group, and he, he said, I heard you laughing. And that is striking, because this journey, there's not a lot of laughter. And, you know, it could actually make me feel a bit emotional because, you know, that shows it was striking that that showed and I mean, a, a, the other hat, Darren, if we've got these hats is the peer group support work. So I'm in a group of a small group of OTs that we meet, um and we share and again I've had laughter you know there's a lot of serious enough stuff but there's laughter as well you know and so there's there's a lot of work going on by people with long Covid that you know could be good models of practice and in terms of how we get back to work you know how we how we find out that journey and it may not be paid work I think very important that we we understand that not everybody may at a certain time get back to work but they may do very other worthwhile valuable things you know that, that are work to them
0: And i suppose that's an important concept isn't it because um, you know we we do live in a, a society where we all you know need money um, mm. and so we need to pay the bills and need to do things like that and so having paid work has its role but then um, I suppose what you've described there is the value to individuals on different types of work that may not just be the paid work that we do um, mm. but the value to the individual on those other types of work um, and I know that certainly thank you for bringing up peer support there because I think it's an incredibly important uh, mm. topic. And I know that that's something that I've gained an awful lot of value from. Um, and you know, uh, that it's, it's invaluable in fact, mm-hmm. um, mm,
1: definitely. but
0: I was wondering to you both, whether there's a topic that we haven't gone into yet that you wanted to bring up around this return to work, like whether it's about the role of allied health professionals, the challenges that people face, the, the next steps, like what do we need to be doing as as a nation or even internationally around this?
1: I'm looking, I'm looking over there because I've got like, you know, about 10 post-it notes with points on. But Jasmine, do you want to say anything first? Or?
2: Yeah, so I suppose um, from a, a, a therapy point of view, a healthcare professional view, it's it's trying to ask the work question in any capacity that people feel that they're comfortable doing, really. I think it, even if it's outside of the HP note, but if you can, if, if people can send letters just to maybe explain what what, how the symptoms are impacting someone functionally, and that's really the, the key thing I think for therapists to try and get across that message of, of how those symptoms translate into someone's ability to do tasks over a certain amount of time, and 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 that um, that concept of payback. And I know all of the people that are working in the long COVID clinics will will um, will be well informed on that sort of thing. Um, and I think with the AHP fit note, even if you weren't confident enough to necessarily use it to um, qualify someone for for pay it could be a tool that you use with a patient to try and process some of the information it can be quite a difficult thing to to really think about all the things that you're finding difficult and how they interlink with one another Um, and I think there are so many emotions wrapped up in that process there's feelings of guilt of frustration of, of, of desperately wanting to be back to work and back to normal and I think therapists can perhaps Help with that process of bringing clarity to it, and maybe looking at it at a different perspective. Perhaps giving people permission uh, to stay off work and 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 look at things from that side. So I think it doesn't um, necessarily need to be a tool if you don't feel too confident in it. It doesn't need to be something that extends sickness absence, but it could be a tool that you use that, that could be shared with a GP or an employer as well. Um, mm-hmm. And I think very similarly for for employees who are going back to work to to maybe try and if they don't have access to therapists to try and think about some of the things that would would really help them in the workplace and maybe have that that open communication with a manager. uh, Talking quite honestly, not just about symptoms of diagnosis, but but how this is affecting them, because I think that's the the only way a manager can then have any chance of facilitating a return that, that is going to be suitable, really
0: and that's going to be difficult isn't it because that requires a level of acceptance as well yeah. um yeah. yeah that that's a real challenge um mm. and also trust i suppose because you know you 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 need to have that trust with the individual you're sat with to be able to share those vulnerable pieces of information about how mm. you're struggling or or uh, experiencing this journey
2: mm, absolutely and i think Sorry, Twins. Sorry. But I was just going to say, I think that's why it's really important as well to really pin down a manager um, and, and have some private time to talk. I think, you know, talking in the corridor isn't enough. And, and you know, talking in the loading bay before you go out on deliveries isn't enough. It needs to be a time where you, you feel comfortable enough to talk, where you've had time to plan it and it's not uh, ad hoc. Um and I think that's that's what's really important as well. That's what one I had not really thought about that until recently. One of my patients said recently is that they're really struggling to just pin their manager down. They have these really quick conversations and they don't feel like they have the chance to to really explore potential options for a return to work. So um, so I think that's really important, having that, that the right environment to have those discussions.
1: Yeah. And that, you know, I think that brings up so many points, doesn't it, about your relationship with your manager and uh, sorry, Darren, but I'm going to have to go to another hat. You know, but one of the things that I'm and it's not a work hat, kind of. But one of the things I I kind of chew over is, you know, there are people outside of 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 health healthcare working, but I wonder, you know, if you've got a manager who's also a healthcare professional, you know, what hat are they wearing when say they're looking at a tool like this the AHP tool or an occupational health report you know is it helpful or unhelpful that their health care you know what 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 factors are there because you know on Twitter I'm seeing people saying uh occupational health report hasn't has been overrided say you know or um different things you know I think there's so much if if we're looking kind of I, I, I forgot what you initially said Darren but it was something on what next or kind of that type of thing that um you know we ne- i think we need more training more education for the workplace for managers for colleagues for hr and there was a brilliant example on twitter from somebody saying that her workplace hr had set up a group of people employees in the workplace for long covid and they almost it sounded a bit a bit like a focus group or a bit kind of you know what what is it that we can help you with and i think for somebody on their own you know depending on the relationship with their manager it could, it could be very tricky or what is the work culture you know you know in some some sectors of work to really sort of say go in and say you know I, i've got these issues you know mm. how easy is that you know so i think that my next stage would you know i'd love to see of course, I'm going to say occupational therapists. You know, <laughs> let's go into the, let's go in and meet with HR. Let's, you know, or let's get let's get different ways of kind of working with people across different sectors and and really talk to them because this is a massive problem, isn't it? We we know kind of, isn't it? 1.1 million people, teachers, and NHS staff are huge groups. You know, so if if, if we're going to have a, a future of, of not you know it's a conservative phrase and uh, it's coming to my mind writing people off and I don't even like it but it's kind of let's you know let's value people and the resources we have and and let's think more creatively about what we can do next Mm -hmm. you know because it it's going to work in some people's cases and it's not in others and you know people will be at a pivotable point or they already are losing their jobs going down capability being uh, made redundant or you know so there's got to be more we can do I think uh, to support people.
0: Yeah, and unfortunately, there there are some wonderful examples of how it works well, mm-hmm. um, and people that have been amazingly supported in their return to work, and it's been flexible and individualised and person centred. Um, mm-hmm. And then you also do hear of of really unfortunate, terrible examples of of people that have not been supported and are in in terrible situations in terms of their um, their their work and their lives yeah. because of what's yeah. been going on. Yeah. Um, so I'm conscious. Jenny that you said you've got a pile of post-it notes and yes. and also just on a point there's no limitations on hat you can you can make as many as you want you can be a full-on yeah. milliner if you want <laughs> but, oh, <laughs> what's what's what have we not covered on your post-it notes
1: yeah okay well so one was, <laughs> this, is this one here. so um and this is a strategy isn't it you know we've got strategies and um for me it was about um Support. So in in negotiating things in the workplace is around, you know, for me, uh, people may disagree with me, but for me, the union can be a good uh, source of support in difficult conversations in, in the workplace. And some people, you know, in the NHS, as occupational therapists, we're in the union. Uh, most of us, you know, if, if, unless we choose not to be, if we're a member of, of our professional body. But do people now want to consider joining a union? And if they do, the the TUC say that um, uh, they may not be able to get the full level of support, but they'll certainly get pointers if they join post having COVID. Um, but I, there's a lot of work going on with the union, with TUC equality, I've just done a survey around these issues. So there's things that we can look at that may be might help people so i think the survey is is still live but that's the tuc equality one but um we'll look interesting to see what the findings are and the other thing just quick it's not on my post-it notes but it was something darren you were saying about um jasmine about strategies i think we mustn't forget the the vital role of significant others so for me uh I had a conversation with my partner who's had his own journey of ill health uh, unrelated to COVID um but we've had you know quite honest conversations that you know when I'm trying to work um is he able to do the tea that day because I I just I can't work and make a healthy meal and so you know there's the role we haven't all got Somebody that we live with or someone we can rely on, but for those of us that have, that can be a big strategy, you know, um, in, in actually enabling us to, to get back to, to sustain work uh, as well. So we mustn't forget that, that role, um, as well.
0: Jasmine, you got any post it notes there? <laughs> <laughs>
2: and actually where i was hoping to to talk i've got a whole list of uh, topics and things but it's on the computer a bit behind me from where we had to <laughs> um but i think what jenny was saying is 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 right i think people need someone to advocate for them i think not just on a on a, on a basis of twitter and feeling validating their symptoms but also through the the whole return to work process i think doing this on your own is tiring in itself, isn't it? It can bring on symptoms in itself. The whole, and, and I think, you know, for, for patients that I see, every time a, a fit note is about to expire, people uh, become a lot more anxious. They become a lot more worried. They push that little bit too much. Um, and I think if you've got people that you feel on your side, whether it's family, unions, a supportive manager, a GP, a therapist, um, I think that can be really valuable. Um in, in almost yeah validating the way you're feeling and not feeling so alone a lot of the patients that we see find that really important um, and I think that's a big part of what we do as therapists as well it's not just the assessment process the sort of the new kind of rehab that we, we've got used to now um, but it's also just listening to people and and, and believing people and um and trying to communicate that on their behalf with with managers especially if that relationship with the manager is perhaps broken down, especially for people, I think, who don't have control over their workload like some people do. Um, I know if people do have control over the caseload, it can bring up its own issues in that when do you stop? When do you stop pushing yourself as well? But for people who may be working, you know, on production lines, they work It's a very strict... Um, uh, timeframes, they need their manager on board to to be able to allow them to put strategies in place. It, 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 they are, are reliant on somebody um, making those changes for them and making it possible. So, um, so I think that advocacy role fits in with that as well. And, and then unions that can get involved, any kind of support is so valuable, I think. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like, I I know that obviously, we, we have a, a strong culture of unions in the UK, it's very different in other countries. I know there's a very anti-union movement in the United States. Uh, so obviously, th- that's a very kind of like UK context, um, specifically, wow. but um, you mentioned both about kind of the support mechanisms that are in place for people. Um, and, you know, I, I also really valued what you said there about if if people have significant others or partners in their lives the role they can have um i wanted to share something with that a bit personal actually because um it can actually be quite difficult to have those conversations about the support Mm -hmm. as well because one of the things i've personally found is that with the episodic nature of the disability that i'm experiencing um it's very difficult to predict it and to plan when you're going to be good and when you're going to be bad and and when you're going to need that help but equally for your significant others it makes it really difficult to know when to jump in and help and when Mm. jumping in and helping is actually um, not what you want at that time so actually that negotiation is Mm. almost another Uh, (laughs) hat because there's quite a lot in that isn't there to unpick Mm. about kind of you know, you want to be independent, you want to do things yeah. for yourself. Um, and then you have to accept that you can't and mm-hmm. you want your partner to read those signs. Uh, yeah. So yeah, so it's quite a difficult thing as well. But yeah. it does support you with work.
1: So. Yeah, I think that is really interesting what you say. And there's been some research done around significant others, because they may not always be helpful. They may, you know, that's not a, a negative uh, for partners, but they also may worry about you going back to work or not and say you should be going back to work it's going to make you ill again you know that it's it's a bit tricky <laughs> yeah so it's, it's interesting yeah. yeah
0: so I'm conscious that we've gone for nearly an hour now and yeah. that time's gone really really quickly so um I'm, I wanted to just ask you one final question if that was all right so if anybody um is currently wanting more information about return to work where would you signpost people to if they haven't got access to a long COVID clinic or to an allied health professional or to a supportive manager you know they're they're doing this solo where would you signpost people to I'll go to you uh Jasmine first
2: okay so um I know that there's starting to be some information online um, and I think the, the difficult thing is in terms of information and adjustments is that things are so individual so if anything I think it's trying to to figure out how you you process individually what you might need at work I know we made some videos uh, from our department pretty early on talk, trying to talk through how you maybe judge what your own capacity is and, and and trying to understand comfortable maximums and I think there are so many resources on uh, on your page the Long Covid Physio page I think is it Kathy Thompson's put together a really great list of resources which is which is everything I'm aware of and um, the other thing that I've listened to recently and I've written this down was um, the chronic illness inclusion they've recently released a report that's fantastic and I think if if anyone's struggling to put into words the way they're feeling um I think that's a really excellent report because I've, I've read it and I picked up loads of, of new information about how to to communicate some of these issues with managers and I think that's one of the big things is how do you communicate this information um in a way that it's going to be effective and I know where uh, I know Jenny's probably a great person to ask about this because I know she's uh, working on loads of resources with the working group um so she yeah. might
1: have yeah I think there's um there's there there is there is a website for long COVID um support um longcovid.org isn't it and um they are updating and, and continuing to build the um, links on there. So there is a whole section and I know somebody's actually doing some work on that this weekend as well. Um, so that will cover different things. And there are, you know, in the UK, there's some very good helplines so that the equality, uh, I forget the name, the Equalities Commission or whatever it is, they've got a very good helpline. So that will be in, in those resources where you can discuss things around, you know, am I likely to be eligible for reasonable adjustments and things like that um so there's, there's a whole lot of resources there and I, long covid sos have just recently I've seen on twitter uh done some work on this i think citizens advice bureau is is an excellent uh page for people to go acas acas uh, have a helpline as well and they do a lot of work around sort of mediation because you know Unfortunately, there are a lot of challenging issues for people at the moment, uh, so that's a, a very good resource. So I think there are, uh, you know, a range of mediums, uh, you know, the videos and and written information and helplines because I think we're all different, and there's a there's quite a lot of information to take on board. The Vocational Rehabilitation Association also on their website have some resources. Um, and I, I did notice that um, uh, Sheffield Hallam University uh, have a whole booklet on kind of, I think Darren, I think Long Covid Physio put that out on pace in, in the workplace and things like that. So I think I think it's growing, but I think that we need to make it easy for people to navigate because it's, it's having Long Covid, you know, it's like being a student on a course that never ends, you know, and we are forever. <laughs> You know,
0: (laughs) I like that,
1: (laughs) you know, night and day, you know, we're trawling for things because, you know, that's I suppose my last comment is that we're working the illness work to find that little extra bit, you know, to manage all our symptoms. And if we if we don't do that work, are we going to miss our recovery point? You know? Yeah. So I think it's hard. I think people need easy, accessible information, really.
0: Yeah. Brilliant. Well, I think that I have asked you plenty of questions and I think we've got such a wealth of information here and I will make sure um, that underneath this on both YouTube and also all the other platforms, all of those links to things are there. And actually, many of the things you've mentioned are on the return to work page on the Long Covid Physio website. But there's some hot tips there as well that I've written down that I'll make sure we update on that website. Um, So I want to thank you both so much for your time today. Um, I think that clearly this probably isn't the end of the conversation, is it? I think this is uh, a continuing conversation about these things. And as more information and research and knowledge and skills emerges, i I would imagine this will be another conversation we we'll probably have again in the future. Um but I just wanted to ask if you've got any lasting comments that you wanted to share um but mostly just to say thank you very much for both your times.
1: Yeah, I thank you. go go on Jasmine.
2: No, I was just going to say great thank you thank you for having it. it's been a really nice opportunity to to share some of our thoughts about work because it is such an important topic so many people of working age are are experiencing long covid. Um, so so it's been a really nice opportunity to talk about
1: that. Thank you. Yeah, and I feel I feel very much the same. And and, and I'll share just the last thought of from when I, my NHS job was terminated, uh, even though I was working full time, you know, that door shut, but other doors opened. And so, you know, it can be very hard to be positive sometimes. But, you know, if, if one job does close, it doesn't mean that you're unemployable. Uh, in the future so you know I've really enjoyed talking and I'm looking forward to seeing more on Twitter and different things so
0: thank you very much Darren yeah
2: and what a positive note to end on so thank you both very very much